to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com thanks for tuning in sluts and scholars is a sex positive shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter while we love to give advice and resources please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy Hey, slutty scholars. Welcome back to another week of the show. I've got a unique episode today. You will get to hear me being interviewed for a change. I really enjoyed this episode I did with past guest Michelle Lamore for her podcast called Look Down There and wanted to share it with you all. We talk about minimizing and working on sexual shame from the bottom up. If you like this episode, go check out her podcast, events, and burlesque fitness classes. Now to the episode. Hello and welcome to Look Down There, the show where we talk about all the things we don't talk about. I'm your host, Michelle Lamore. Today, my guest is a sexologist, an equine-assisted psychotherapist. Yes, that means horses. And the host of the ever-popular podcast, Sluts and Scholars. Please welcome Nicoletta Heidegger. Thank you. I love your voice on all of that. <laughs> so sensual. I know. Wow, so sensual. I think I need to re-record my intro with your voice. Yeah, I'm here for it. I'm ready. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's so good to have you. You know, I've been on your show twice now, and so it's it's nice to like turn the tables a little bit. I know it's so strange. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How long have you been doing your podcast? Oh gosh, it's been like four years now. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I had a, uh, I did it starting with a co-host, and now it's just me, and I just kind of kept it going as a fun educational way to like do something that's not just private practice and reach a wider audience and provide some, some tidbits for people who aren't my clients. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's great just to, you know, spread the knowledge in a really fun way that doesn't have that kind of heaviness of, of a session that you might have. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So what got you into thinking like, oh, you know what? I want to be a sexologist, sex therapist. I want to work with horses. Like how did you <laughs> just combine absolutely everything that you love into one thing? Well, it's so funny when people like list the two things together. I feel like it's hard for people to hear sex therapist and horse therapy and they get all sorts oh of God. like kinky ideas. They're like, what I, does that mean? Is I there never like... even thought of that connection. So <laughs> they're okay. So I'm the one who didn't go there. <laughs> Honestly, I, you're like the only one I've talked to that hasn't gone there probably because you're like so shame-free like me, but I think most people I tell are like, um, how does that work? Uh, they get like these bestiality fantasies. So oh, no. it is not that just putting that out there. Uh, but in terms of how I got there, <clears throat> I think it's been in the making since probably junior high, high school, honestly, but yeah, growing up in terms of the, the horse stuff, I was a long time, um, a competitive equestrian, uh, doing hunter jumpers. That was kind of my, my sport growing up. Um, and then in terms of the, the sex therapy, I was always pretty interested in all things related to sex. And I kind of ended up becoming like the person uh, in my friend group who would often be the one to like talk about sex and feel comfortable talking about sex. My parents were pretty uh, open and yeah, open to talking with me about sex things growing up. Uh, and so there was sort of a platform on which to have some of these dialogues 
uh, maybe too, maybe too open at some times, uh, <laughs> but they definitely like supported me in some of my own dating and sexuality exploration. Uh, and then in like early high school, <clears throat> my siblings had a babysitter who basically we, we became friends and she told me that she was a bit older and she told me that she wouldn't hook up with anyone in like high school and college unless they went and got STI tested together. And that was like part of her thing. And so I started doing that. I thought it was a really cool idea. And this was like before most fun, like a fun date night. Yeah. Totally. Like, right. Go to dinner, get tested, whatever. Um, but it was also about like having conversations with people and mutual respect, um, not to stigmatize STIs. Cause if you're sexually active, you probably have one or more. Uh, we probably have one or more, uh, but I think it was like, Oh, this is a way I can talk about things openly. And that was like unheard of at the time. People had never been tested. There were no like safer sex conversations. And so that was another reminder of like, okay, this needs to be talked about more. And then in college, I, well, actually, even before that, I was seeing a therapist since I was like 12 or 13. I still see that therapist actually. Amazing. Uh, yeah. Longest relationship I've had. And <laughs> she kind of specializes in some sex and relational work as well. And definitely helped me a lot. And then by the time I got to college, I worked at like the sexual health resource center, um, giving out free condoms and like peer counseling. We also sold toys, um, and would do like outreach projects. And then, so I knew I wanted to do something in, in therapy and mental health. And then by the time I was a senior, um, I ended up becoming the mascot, uh, of my university, like the person in the costume at football games <laughs> and, <Awesome>. um, <laughs> at our school, it was a tree. And so I had, yeah, I had this sex column called sex talks with the tree. And, uh, that was really fun for me to write about sex and, and do outreach in different ways. So it all kind of came together. And then I decided to get like a general psychology, you know, degree to become a marriage family therapist. But it was again, reminded to me like why sex stuff was important to get a specialization in because most therapists only get like one class, if at all on human sexuality. And so it's just not enough for anyone, I think. Um, and so all these things kind of together really, uh, really helped. And I would say the, like the last part that really hammered it in was I was dating someone in college. And I remember I like wanted, wanted him to like finger me differently. And I was like saying something of how I wanted it different. And I thought I was saying it in a nice supportive compliment based way, um, kind of prided myself on open communication, whatever. And he said, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Mm. Yeah. And I was like, all these things together, I think kind of like mixed to, to create this uh, sex monster that I am now. <laughs> well, we are thankful for it and we are here for it. Thank you. <laughs> yes. yes. So you, I mean, you've been in practice for a few years, right? How, how long have you been, you've had your own practice for a few years. Yeah. So I started seeing clients while I was in uh, graduate school. It's pretty common to start seeing clients like your second year. And so that was in 2014. And then I got licensed in uh, 2018. Um, and so now I've had my, my own practice uh, since then. That's great. And, and during that time, what is, what is something that's been the most surprising to you to learn about human sexuality? Oh man, it's hard to say because right now I feel like there's nothing 
that surprises me anymore. (laughs) I feel like my, my radar for that is off. Um, but I think I'm so used to it, but just hearing the like amounts of shame that people carry and the way that the shame affects their lives, even if it was like one comment from like a family member or someone they hooked up with in like junior high, um, just how deeply ingrained trauma and sexual narratives get held in our body and like how that affects everything. Um, and so I wouldn't say it like necessarily surprises me, but I'm always just taken aback by how deep those things can go and how much undoing, uh, I think is needed. Yeah. And I think it's also uh, maybe something that keeps inspiring you to, to keep going because you might feel like I've said this so many times and there's so many resources out there, but people are still um, experiencing so much shame and there's all these new things to be uncovered within all of us. And so, you know, maybe that's something that keeps you motivated and keeps you inspired to keep doing the work. Yeah, I definitely think it keeps me motivated. I think it's also just like disheartening that the amount of work that one has to do. I think the other part that's, I wouldn't say surprising or shocking, but like, I think we're all just so busy doing things. It's really hard for folks to like put stuff into practice, especially when it requires kind of going into their body. And if your body hasn't been a safe place for you to go into, it's really hard to ask somebody to go there and be willing to carve out the time to like make their sex better. Um, even if they say it's a priority. And so I would say that's like a, maybe a frustrating piece of the job that you have to have a lot of like patience and empathy for it to move so slowly. Yeah. Yeah. Sitting with your own self um, takes a lot of courage and strength and vulnerability, even if, even if it's only just for a minute, one minute can be, it's the, could be the most excruciating minute of their lives. Yeah. Or just a language that people don't know. Like I think most people aren't taught about their body and their nervous system and trauma responses. Like this is stuff that I talk about all the time, but usually when I'm teaching clients, they like have no idea, um, about things like, yeah, just the amount of times that I've like told someone something and they were like, wow, I've never heard of that. I can't believe nobody ever taught me this. I would say that's even though I'm not surprised it. Oh, each time I hear it, it's like, Oh, geez. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're not really encouraged to go inward. We're encouraged to produce. We're encouraged to go out, mm-hmm. right? And be be there, be on display for other people. And yeah. Capitalism. Yeah. I mean, you know, how much money can you make uh, healing yourself? <laughs> not enough. <laughs> not enough. <laughs> but, you know, I actually think yeah, I think, you know, if you do heal yourself, then then maybe you will l- be led to some other kind of fortunes, whether that's monetary or whatever. But I think yeah. also our value um, is so skewed towards money only, and we don't mm-hmm. really see the other things that enrich our lives. No, I think that's right. It definitely opens up other doors and opportunities and blocks that we have. But I think because it it's not instant gratification. It often doesn't feel like a worthwhile uh, investment for people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, this kind of leads me right into what I wanted to chat with you about today, which was masturbation. And, 
you know, I, maybe it's just the accounts that I follow, but it just seems like everyone's talking about masturbation and squirting and like, uh, you know, all this stuff is, is happening. And there's a lot of like body positivity and sex positivity out there. Um, however, I wonder if maybe it skews into um, toxic positivity. What do you think about that? Oh, well, I guess it depends. Like, how do you define toxic positivity? The way, I guess the way I define it is, um, I guess being like overly positive about something to where it minimizes like people's struggles maybe. Right. Yeah. I feel like when it's, when it's something that's so positive, but it somehow makes the viewer feel more shame and mm -hmm. like, doesn't actually acknowledge the struggle or the hurt or the work that it takes to get to a certain place to explore something like this. Hmm. I mean, you definitely got to give me a list of who you're following so I can check out all these accounts, but I would say, uh, probably like, I think it is really hard not to compare oneself. And I think that people, at least that I see often feel like there's a right amount and a right way that folks are supposed to be doing it. And so when I think of like positivity around masturbation, and I don't know if this is what you've seen on the accounts you're talking about, but I think of supporting not doing it, supporting doing it in the way that works for you, supporting doing it like without having an orgasm, just, I guess, I guess just like the diversity of experiences of like self-pleasure. I don't even like the word masturbation. It sounds sometimes so like clinical or shame-based or like, yeah. I don't know, like Christian in, in a little bit of a way. So it's a heavy word for such a fun experience. Yeah. Masturbation. Like some people, Ugh. if you like it, like good for you. Yeah. Um, but I definitely appreciate like things like self-love, self-pleasure, um, because it's also not maybe as goal oriented. Um, and so I do think that a lot of people I see, they compare themselves. So they think of like, well, is there something wrong with me because I'm not doing it? Is, am I supposed to be doing it a certain amount of times? Um, is there a certain way I'm supposed to be doing it? I think there's a lot of shame um, around that. I also hear a lot of shame around what people think about and fantasize about. And if that means that they want to act on that, or if it's just a fantasy. Um, so I think that's some of the stuff that I see. What have you seen with like the toxic positivity? Yeah. I mean, exactly what you're saying. Like, it's just, it's just like, you know, do it more and just like mm. kind of pushing that. I don't know. Like it's, it's, if you're not doing it enough, then you're not doing it right. And, and pushing the self-love agenda, which I'm all about, like, I'm all about self-love, but like, what is that? Like, it's, it's a good buzzword. It's a good trend word right now, but what does it take to actually love yourself? Like, where do you start? Mm, I think that's the problem. Like I'm all about sex coaching and sex education, but I think that sometimes when there's just like a, a post or a buzzword or a, you know, a how-to video for something, uh, it can sometimes feel like a, a catch-all or like it's supposed to apply to everyone. And so sometimes it skips over like what we were talking about, the work that it takes to get somewhere um, and trauma that comes up for people or other just complexities. And so I, if I were to like promote self-pleasure, I would want to do it with like a heavy dose of like self-curiosity mm -hmm. of like uh, 
like, yeah, like, like you said, what do I get out of this? Why am I doing this? Um, does it feel the way I want it to feel? Like, how do I decide when is right for me or how is right for me? Um, who am I doing this for? And does that matter to me? Uh, so I think it's, it's a lot more like self, not judgment, but self curiosity questioning mm -hmm. to figure out like what you're needing and what works for you and what's the purpose. And also to help you find like what the intention is, because I think self pleasure is not always the same. Like sometimes you just want to rub one out because you're like, I want to do this really fast because then I'll like feel a little better afterwards, or I have some tension I want to release. Sometimes it's because you really want to take your time and like have like a self date with yourself and, and really treat yourself and have a multi-orgasmic experience or like include it with a bath and a massage and watching erotic videos or reading something. Sometimes it's as a performance for other people to watch. Uh, sometimes it's like, a warm up or a precursor or a postcursor to partnered experiences. Um, so I think it's, there's so many different ways um, to do it. And it sounds like maybe that needs to be talked about more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I want to go back to curiosity. And I think that's one of the most important parts of this, because I think that we're also prone to judgment, self-judgment and also judgment of others. And I find like once I tapped into the idea of being curious and being observant rather than judgmental, mm -hmm. that really opened up pleasure for me, whether it was with myself or my partner um, and just feeling like a lot more free, right? Yeah. How do you think you were able to do that? Because that's something I try to support people on too, but I'm curious like if there was anything that helped you be more curious and not judgmental because it's a fine line for sure. It's like the difference between like, why are you doing that versus like, tell me about what this yeah. does for you. Yeah. I mean, it really, um, it was about, you know, being curious about my own body and mm -hmm. really exploring that and looking at it, looking down there. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what this whole show is about. And I call myself a recovering vulva hater. Like, it, that was real for me. Very real. So, um, and I like the, I like that you say recovering and like not recovered because I do think that like self-love and the practice of self-love, like it is a muscle. It is an ongoing thing. It's not something that you attain. And then it's like perfectly there forever. Some days are harder than others, or maybe yep. there's something that will backtrack yeah. you a bit or trigger you, or you're not feeling it that day. And so I think it is a, it's an ongoing process. Yeah, ultimately. It's, it's an evolving process. And, and, and every day is an opportunity to be curious and to check in with your body, your mind and spirit and see where you are that day. And I think when we think about self-love, we, we might think about um, at this, this ending point, like, okay, I've made it. And now I love myself. I will never, I will never look in the mirror and think bad things. I will never, you know, feel bad about myself. Yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> that's not, that's not what it is, right? Like when you love someone else, you don't have a like, well, you don't love every part of them yeah, all the you don't time. You have a steady stream of love every day. Like every day is a different day. And sometimes they do things that piss you off. You know, it's, 
the same, right, with yourself. But I think when you when you develop or nurture this love for yourself, it is an evolving process. And I know you said your the relationship you have with your therapist is the longest one that you've had, but <laughs> truly, like the relationship we have with ourselves is the right. longest relationship that we'll have. So nurturing that and finding a, a good place to communicate with ourselves is so important. Yeah, and I think people forget to ask those questions and, and they put that energy, like you said, maybe into relationships with other people to like, find out about them and be curious about that connection. But yeah, if you're not asking yourself those same questions. This episode is proudly sponsored by Satisfier, my current favorite self-pleasure device. Satisfier is offering listeners 30% off any Satisfier when you go to satisfier.com and enter code S&S30 at checkout. Satisfier, with a Y, makes beautiful vibrators and air pulse stimulators with cutting-edge technology, and they're at a pretty affordable prices. Their new line of products is also Bluetooth-enabled and pairs with their Satisfier Connect app, so you can connect your device to your Android, Apple, and iWatch. You can turn your phone into a remote control and you can control the speeds, vibration lengths. You can even create custom sequences that are perfect for you. No need to worry about pressing buttons when you're enjoying yourself unless you want to. You and your partner can also use the app to play with power dynamics. You can take control of your partner's device or give up control to see what your partner has in store for you. Remember, one way to increase our capacities for self-confidence and self-discovery is through self-pleasure. If you remember all the way back to my very first Sluts and Scholars episode, I discovered self-pleasure from an early age, like most children do. Luckily, I wasn't super shamed for it, so I really believe that this has helped shape my confidence when it comes to talking about sex. My preferred pleasure enhancer at the time was a pole at the park, later a back massager from Sharper Image, but now we have things like Satisfier. My experience was somewhat rare, and I see a lot of folks in my practice who have immense shame around self-pleasure, some who have never done it before, and some who feel that there is something wrong with them because they can only orgasm with their pleasure product, tool, or device. Spoiler alert, there's nothing wrong with you if you need some tools to help you find your pleasure potential. This episode talks about a lot of ways to lessen your sexual shame, so I encourage you to check out the Satisfier as one way to explore your body. Again, Satisfier is offering lucky listeners 30% off any Satisfier when you go to Satisfier.com and enter code S&S30 at checkout. Again, if you're looking for your new favorite device, go to S-A-T-I-S-F-Y-E-R.com, Satisfier.com, and use code S-A-N-D-S30 for 30% off. Now back to the episode. I think for some of my clients and why uh, the equine therapy with horses has been cool is some people are better at doing that self-care or other things with other people. Mm -hmm. Right. And so they, I will see them do self-love, self-care, like all the tools that we're working on for them. I'll see them do it with the animal. Um, meaning like, they're like, they're like, Oh, they sneezed. Are they okay? Or like, Oh, they, they coughed or they breathed this way. Or like, um, let's help them calm down. Or are they, you know, they like are tuning into them. Um, some people aren't. And then that's another issue that we're working on. Uh, it's like reflexivity and empathy and stuff like that. But for the people that do exercise that care, I can sort of use it as a real time example of like, what would it look like if you were caring for yourself as much as you care for your pet? Um, or as much as you care for this animal or your cat or your dog, like the amount of clients I have who like spend so much time and money on their pets, which it's like, great, of course, love pets. Um, but they don't do any of that for themselves. Mm. Um, and so I think it's a 
definitely a good metaphor that I've gotten to use in doing the animal assisted work um, to get people to really see the difference between how they treat themselves versus how they take care of others. Yeah. And I think animals really open up that curious part of ourselves, you know, like we're, mm -hmm. we're curious, like, how are they feeling? Are they okay now? Like, I mean, for me, when I look at my dogs who do nothing but sleep all day, um, I'm highly entertained by them, but I'm always curious, like, are you okay? You're doing okay. And give them a little love and make sure they know mm -hmm. they're loved. And yeah. Or like, um, what does that sound to me? Cause they're not, yeah. they're nonverbal. And so I think that's the key, like I said, is learning our bodies in this nonverbal way. And that's not a language that we're taught growing up for most of us. Um, right. but it's a language that I think we all need to learn. Yeah, definitely. Some, something that I've been working on is, um, this sensual movement practice and, mm -hmm. and reframing it in, in a way of thinking about it as research. And I really like the idea of being a body scientist. So when you think about the science being doing the research, when you're doing research, you're curious. Yeah. So you're observing right? non-judgmentally. Like, yeah, exactly. Like you are just looking for information, taking it in and seeing if that supports whatever your hypothesis is, but you're not like trying, if you're a good scientist, you're not trying to pigeonhole in this information to try to bolster, you know, what you your believe, hypothesis. But, yeah. Yeah. But I like the idea of being an explorer, being a researcher and, and, and for me, that's a good way to check in with my body and then also develop and nurture not only self-trust, but not only self-love, but self-trust and self-discovery, which I think all go hand in hand. I have a, I don't want to like turn the tables cause I'm so used to being the interviewer. So like, don't let me, don't let me take over and try to interview <laughs> you, but like, I'm, I'm curious, like, um, how do you feel like you're able to be more present in movement? Because I think just because somebody does, I think there's this assumption that like, because someone does like dance or sports or whatever, that they're really like embodied in their body. And that's not always the case. Like some people are like totally checked out and not paying attention, kind of like that, no pain, no gain mentality. Um, but I wonder for you, like when you're doing this sensual practice, like what's helpful in being actually present in that instead of like just moving mindlessly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know you are turning the table. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can, don't let me set, set the boundary. Maybe maybe two, but like, I'm curious for me, cause this is something I've thought a lot about. Cause yeah. there's this saying like, you know, um, move a muscle, change a thought or something. And it's like the idea of, like I said, coming back to the body and like moving to create change or going to the body. But I think sometimes people can go there and still be like totally dissociated. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, uh, one of the things that I needed to take out of it was the performative aspect. Mm -hmm. And like you were mentioning before, um, dancers, athletes or whatever, there is this performance aspect to our movement, right? And w do we move in that way when no one's watching? Some yes, some no. Um, some are like, I only move if I get paid to move. Um, <laughs> or when they're training, they're like, I am training so that I can move a certain way in front of yeah. people, right. right? And there's always this audience, this imaginary audience or a real life audience. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I wanted to strip that out of it and, and really go into, well, how would I move 
to feel good. Like if I, if I just explored and researched what it was to feel pleasure and be like a pleasure seeker, pleasure hunter within my body. And that doesn't mean masturbation necessarily, but like, does it feel really great when I roll my wrists? Does it feel really great when I just graze my arms or my my collarbone and my neck and pleasure, pleasure research. Yeah. Just like tuning into those sensations. And I think that is one of the things that can ground you and help you to be present while you're moving within mm. your body. Yeah, I, li- I like that. That's helpful. Yeah. Do you have any practices like that? I would say I definitely do that during, um, like, I guess we can call it, even though I said not to use the word masturbation, but just to like delineate, um, like in that self-pleasure practice, um, I think I definitely try to do that. And when I'm doing it that way, like really taking my time, um, and really, yeah, like I'm not, if I decide to like share it with someone or send a clip to somebody or because we're, I'm like doing it with somebody, I still am doing it for me. And then it's like, they get to witness it if I want them to. Yeah. Um, it's and generosity so, at that point. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's not to say there are sometimes when I'm not performative, cause I think sometimes that can be fun, but I really try to like get a little bit like animalistic with it in the sense of like, yeah, like an animal, you're just pleasure seeking, right. You're looking for what feels good and what, what I'm wanting. Um, I also think that I feel that when I'm, I also play the drums And so I think, uh, sometimes I get a little mindless with it if it's like a song I'm playing over and over, but I do that when I'm playing the drums where I just really like am feeling my body and it it always gives me like such a high. Um, and then I think I enjoy doing it, um, when I'm being like a submissive in a kink or BDSM setting, because all I have to do is just feel Mm -hmm. there's, you know, feel and, and set boundaries or use safe words. Like all I have to be responsible for is how I feel, whether that be like pain or pleasure or whatever, like I'm only responsible for like feeling and breathing and nothing else. And I really, I think that's why I like going into the submissive role because it's like, all I have to focus on is what each sensation is moment to moment. Yeah. And it's a different experience than what you experience every day, because every day you're the one who's in charge of, uh, you know, making sense of other people's experiences. So when you just get to experience that pleasure, I mean, that's. Yeah. But just to, to normalize like the opposite or the opposing pieces of that, like this is my work and this is my job. And I still struggle with it all the time. Like I get stuck, I'm, you know, get burnt out. I feel like I do too much and just push myself through it. Or I have a body response and I don't listen because I'm like, well, you need to be the best or whatever. So like, this is my field of study and something that I talk about incessantly and advise other people to do. And it's still a struggle and ongoing muscle for me as well. Um, And so not trying to put the, you know, coming back to the toxic positivity, like, yes, this is a good thing to practice and flex your muscles for, but knowing that it's really fucking hard. Yeah. It's hard for everyone, even if you, you have degrees in it or not. And I, I relate to you on that, you know, being a burlesque performer and teacher and, and feeling like, God, like, why am I struggling? Like people don't expect me to struggle. They expect me to have great, amazing sex all the time. And everything's super hot and sexy. It's like, yeah, no, (laughs) 
No, yeah, <laughs> the case at all. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I think sometimes that's feels good to share because it's like validating to clients where I'm like, look, this is my job, and I still struggle with this. And other times people don't like it because it's like they wanted to project onto you how they wanted to see you. Right. And then it's like, well, then maybe they don't want to watch your burlesque because they're like, well, you're not a perfect sex object that I thought you were. <laughs> and I think that's yeah. where a lot of sex workers struggle. Yes. Because they're Hi. like, yeah. yeah, they're like, well, how do I be authentic while also like being this character, um, as a service? So I think, I think it's a really hard balance. Yeah. Um, so getting back to self-pleasure, um, if someone is kind of hesitant about it, how do you encourage them to explore that? Oh, if somebody is hesitant, um, I think it depends like what kind of hesitation, um, I would say for me, trauma is anything that like overwhelms the nervous system. And so if there is some kind of like aversion in that way, I think it's important not to like push yourself through it and continue to have like negative experiences. So I think there's, you know, go to, go to a sex therapist, um, go to a trauma specialist to like work through some of that. So you're not just like reliving a potential like trauma response. Um, I would say before you even go to self-pleasure, I would, I would recommend, and this sounds a little sciencey, but like look up something like the polyvagal theory. And that basically talks about like nervous system responses um, so that you can learn the language of your body a little bit so that you can practice noticing how you feel with different things. Um, and then after that, I would say like, before you even go straight to like genitals, I would do something called like, um, people call it different things, but I think a common term is like body mapping. Mm -hmm. And so this is like, you can use your hands, you can use a scarf, you can use a, a toothbrush, a feather, a pillow, like a sweater. Um, you can do it clothed or unclothed, but basically going like head to toe, or maybe not even head to toe, maybe just first focusing on an area of your body that's neutral, like one that doesn't bring you pain or discomfort. So even if that's like the tip of your big toe and like spending some time, like, let's say we're talking about the big toe, like spending some time with like scratching, massaging, pinching, um, with different like textures, different frequency, different pressure, just to notice in your body what it feels like. Yeah. Um, and to see like, what do I like? How do I like this? And then if you feel like you can do that, maybe expand it to your whole foot then maybe expand it to your whole leg and then maybe your inner thigh and kind of doing the same thing with your, you know, if, and when you get to your genitals um, and not having it be goal oriented, but just like you said, kind of as a researcher, just like exploratory, just mapping things out and noticing in your body. Um, and that's why I think the nervous system first is really important so that you can know when something is feeling like too much, you can know when to stop, you can know, uh, what those nonverbal cues are and to listen to them so that you're not pushing yourself through something that you're not ready for. Um, because that can just be re-triggering. And then why would you want to do that again? Right. Yeah. And we are very used to pushing through, right? Like, yeah, totally. I think a lot of people do that in sex. They just like, are like, well, I'm supposed to like this, or they'll be upset with me if I say I want something different. So I'll just sit here and take it. Now, is it necessary 
that we masturbate. Like I know there's health benefits, but if there are people who are just like, not for me, I don't enjoy it. Um, like what, what could they be missing out on or are they missing out on anything health wise? I think it's not for me to decide for another person. Um, there is a realness to the, if you don't use it, you lose it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So if you are someone who is on the like asexual, aromantic spectrum, and you're just not interested in sex with anyone, including yourself, um, I think it's important to find a way to like maybe exercise that muscle so that it doesn't atrophy um, because we do need our pelvic floor for other things like going to the bathroom, like holding up our body, like our core strength. Um, and so even if you're not doing it with the goal of like orgasm or sexual pleasure, I think it's a muscle in the body that needs to be treated as such. Um, and so for that, I think it's important for just like overall health and wellness. Um, but it's not for me to decide if like what kind of masturbatory or pleasure practice is right for you. But I would say coming back to what we said earlier, be curious about why, um, and not in a judgmental way, but like, don't just accept like, well, I just don't like it. Um, yeah. make an informed choice of like, what is adding to that? Is it because there's pain? Then you need to address that. Is it because you're embarrassed or ashamed or religion or whatever, so that you can make an informed, um, decision. Yeah. Such a good answer, Nicoletta. You should do this for a living. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'll think about that. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think you could really be something. Someday. <laughs> mm -hmm. Thank you so much. <laughs> Um, okay. Well, how, how important is keeping up this practice as we age? And you were, you were just talking about, you know, use it or lose it. Like what, what are the benefits of continuing to use it? Super important, like for your body. And I think if you don't know anything about that or want to get some exercises, contact a pelvic floor therapist. Um, so this is someone who is a doctor of like physical therapy, just like you would go for a sprained ankle or a hurt back. Um, but they provide exercises for your pelvic area, which again is responsible and connected to so many different areas. So like, even if you don't want to do it in a sexual way, um, it's like going to the gym for the rest of your body and taking care of yourself. So I think it's important. And then, like you said, yes, there are health benefits like mood boosting, self-confidence, um, I think the key piece that people might miss if they're not doing it is they don't, and they're having partnered sex, then they don't necessarily know what they like, um, for themselves. And so I think that's important. So you can know like what you like and how things have changed so that you can explore that and express it to somebody else when you choose, if, and when you choose to. Yeah. So final, final question, um, toys. So we see a lot about different kinds of toys. If someone's interested in exploring that, what might be a good first, first toy? I mean, first would be yourself, I think. Yeah. And I, I yeah. love, I mean, toys are tools. Like they are there because they are helpful. And if you're like, haven't done any of this stuff we described yet in this episode, like try other things first that maybe aren't like overtly sexual. Um, like I said, like a scarf, a pillow, your hand, like whatever. Um, 
I think in terms of other toys, um, it's important to know what kinds there are. So do some research that like there are kinds that you never have to put inside. Um, and I don't know, you know, what kind of gender you are, whoever's listening. So like, um, there are toys for all bodies. And so I think that's important too, is asking yourself, like, what kind of sensation am I looking for and what parts am I working with? so that you can find something that is a good fit that works for you. Um, that is like safe and isn't going to get lost in your asshole. Uh, you know, something, <laughs> you like do, do some homework. Um, my favorite toy, and I'm not saying this just because they sponsor the podcast, um, is like those air pulse things. I really like the satisfier one that I have. Um, it's my favorite. So that it kind of looks like a vibrator. It doesn't go inside, but it has this like air sucking slash vibrating sensation. That's like all the rage, um, these days. Yeah. (laughs) Use the discount code. But honestly, I was using it before they sponsored and I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan. Um, but that's my body. So there's no like one size fits all. And I know it can be expensive to invest in new things, but like if you can, try that out. Um, you know, I know some people get nervous about going to the store, but there's a lot of great online stores that have wonderful, um, people that work for them that can talk to you. Like, uh, Thongria, Zoe Ligon is one of them. Another one called shop NB. Um, there's so many great places where you can talk to non-judgmental people who know what options there are. Yeah. Um, so I would start, yeah, start with yourself then do some research for like parts and safety um, and then try to make a little investment fund for trying a couple different things on your actual body. Yeah. Yeah. They, they definitely can get expensive. Um, I think for me, b- before I got into toys, I felt like there was a stigma around mm-hmm. it. Like, Oh, if I can't do it myself, then it's not, I'm not doing it right. Or it's not good enough. Or I don't need that. Like, I didn't see the value in yeah. like different kinds of stimulation and yeah, you know what? You could have more than one toy. <laughs> but so, I mean, yeah, so many people have that stigma and it's like mm-hmm. this unlearning of that and trying to re-narrate yeah. it as these are tools and humans have been using tools for forever um, to make life more accessible um, and easier. And so if you're saying you're not down to use a sex toy, then get rid of your iPhone, get rid of all your forks, get rid of your bed, get rid of your pillow, get rid of your car, uh, get rid of your shower, like yeah. any, any tool that you use in your life, get rid of it. Um, <laughs> because this is just another one of those tools. So if you're anti-tool, then like, then be anti-tool. <laughs> right. <laughs> then live off the land. Yeah, exactly. It's just fucking, <laughs> don't you, don't use anything. Just die. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge and um you're you're so empathetic and really thoughtful about all of your answers and I really appreciate that. Oh, thank you. Well, you're giving me all these good feels and I love positive reinforcement. So, tell me what a good girl I am and I'll come back anytime. <laughs> good girl. <laughs> I pet your mane. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. This is going places. So, um, Nicoletta, tell us where we can follow you and hear your lovely voice. 
So you can find me through the podcast at uh, Sluts and Scholars on Instagram, Sluts Scholars on Twitter, uh, my personal uh, therapy gram, which I don't do a lot on because social media is burning me out. Uh, it's therapy. Yeah, it's therapy with Nicoletta. Um, you can kind of find my websites and other things through there. And yeah, thanks so much for having me. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was so fun. All right, everyone, time to spread your legs and spread the love. Go like and love and share and subscribe to all things Look Down There. You can follow us at I Look Down There or follow me at Michelle Amore. And if you want to listen to our past episodes from season one, go to lookdownthere.com slash the dash shows. Mm-hmm.